This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. We're in the uh, study of the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, Paul is writing a letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And he is uh, correcting some of their misunderstandings, and he's correcting some of their behaviors, and he's addressing the practical matters of life. And uh, last week we got into his discussion, his in teaching to married couples, specifically about sex. Uh, and what he said was a little surprising, even in a context where some were, were pursuing too much sex, including seeing prostitutes at temples for worship. On the other side were these ascetics, these people who were saying, no, if you're going to be spiritual, you give up on all that dirty, icky stuff, sex, marriage, everything. And so Paul is in the process of talking to people who are constantly being polarized, and he's bringing them back to the truth of what Jesus had to say and what it means to be a follower of his. his. And so one of the first things he said about marriage is, hold on, marriage is good, God invented it, it has a purpose, and sex has a role in marriage. So what we learned last week was that if you are married, you should pursue sex. Now, it's okay to exercise abstinence when you're single, that's recommended. Abstinence is not recommended when you're married. And uh, some of, we've gotten floods of requests for that recording. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But the truth of the matter is that married couples should not just simply let it happen. They should probably be more intentional about making sure that it is a part of what it means to be one. Well, now today, Paul's going to shift his attention. I told you last week, I said, all of you singles sitting there listening to a marriage and sex talk, I was going to make up for it. And this today, we're going to talk about singleness. And if you're married, you need to listen anyway, because they did, Okay. But, but more than that, um, you're going to see how what Paul has to say to singles really does impact all of us. So today he turns his attention toward those who are single. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, we're going to start looking at verse 6 and 7. What Paul writes is this. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. If you don't know much about the life of Paul, this would mean nothing. But if you know anything about Paul, you know that at this point in his life, he was single. There's some debate as to whether or not he ever was married. And to be honest, it's interesting and meaningless at the same time. As a Pharisee and as a Jew, it's hard to imagine he would have risen up through the ranks without being married. At the same time, it's possible. But he is addressing also widows and widowers, and so perhaps his wife had died. You know what? It doesn't matter. One thing we know for sure, right now Paul is living as a single man. And the very first thing he says is, I wish all of you were single like me. If you're single, I'm wondering if that surprises you. In fact, you might be married, and that surprises you. That the Apostle Paul would say that all things being equal, he would prefer singleness. It's not the message we get, is it? 
marriage in the past had an interesting kind of a history. I mean, we know how it was started in um, Genesis and God ordained and all that. But throughout history, one of the things that marriage always did was it, it allowed for uh, a family to be protected and for a legacy to be left behind. It was a way to pass on your, your goods and, and, and leave the farm to someone else. And it, family, I mean, marriage was part of that. In fact, that's why, one of the reasons why marriage was so important. You couldn't leave an heir, a legal heir. You had to be married, and there was that, had to be that connection. In the past, marriage was important for protecting a family and leaving a legacy. Fast forward to today, that's pretty much never on the mind of anybody who's talking about marriage. Almost universally, people get married because they think it'll make them happy. They're in love. They have all these feelings. They want to have sex, and they don't want to feel bad about it. And so they want to be married, or they want to have kids, and they want to do and I, 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 me, 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 everything. And, and believe me, I counsel many of these. I counsel some of you. And I sit there and listen to it. So why do you want to get married? And here it comes, you know. Uh, don't get me wrong. We all understand those feelings. They're delightful. I just want to point out that the reason people today want to get married is very different from why people got married in, other, in past generations. Now, the focus seems to be on self-fulfillment. Well, that's the past, and that's today. Let's talk about marriage in the church for a minute. If, you, if church is new to you, then this won't mean much. But if you have been attending church for some time, if you've attended other churches, maybe you grew up in the church, then you have perhaps noticed that the church typically makes a really big deal out of marriage. So much so that if you listen closely or if you listen like a single, it starts to sound like it's the highest possible calling on the face of the earth. Not many of us pastors actually intend to send that message. We're just trying to strengthen marriage, and let's be honest, there's a lot of pushback in our culture that is attacking marriage and making it irrelevant. You hear that more than anything else today, that marriage is irrelevant. Well, you know what? If the goal of marriage was to be able to have sex and feel fulfilled, it is irrelevant. You, don't, you can do all those things without being married. So our culture has moved away from what those fundamentals were of marriage in the first place. And of course, it has taken on an air of irrelevance. So the church, as we respond to that, we begin to defend marriage, and we have marriage conferences, and marriage weekends, and marriage uh, small groups, and marriage Sunday school classes, and, 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 and we're trying to, but if we're not careful, the message that comes across is the very best you could do is to be married and have a little family. If you're single, you know how that can leave you feeling. You either feel like a second-class citizen in the church of your own church, or you feel like you're defective merchandise. Now, some people here, you're, you're young people, you're barely of marrying age. You're single, but that's because you're just getting into the whole ordeal. And so Paul's going to have some things to say to you. Some of you uh, are in your late 20s, early 30s, early 40s, never been married. It just hasn't happened. And I understand all the pressures that you can feel. You know, you're just like, what's, what's wrong with me, you know, right? And that's where the friends start coming in and say, hey, have you ever tried, right? You, they're starting to help you as though you're some pitiful thing that needs help. 
many others of you perhaps were married before and are currently single, either because of a divorce or because of a spouse dying. We have singles. By the way, singles make up easily half of Crossroads membership. Easily. I wonder if it, if it looks like that. I'm afraid it doesn't. And I, Paul's going to help us try to set that straight beginning today. So what he has to say is something to each of these different categories of singles. Let's see what he has to say. Starting in verse 8, he says, Now, oh, oh sorry, what would he have to say? What he's, I've already said that. Paul has to say is that I would recommend that you consider staying single. Not the message you probably get from church or from your little Christian friends or from your mom. <laughs> verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is a good thing for them to stay unmarried as I do. First category of people, unmarried and widows. It's kind of interesting. Widows, the word widows, right? It's feminine, plural. Makes sense. It's addressed to a group of women. The other word, unmarried, it's not the word widower. Oh, maybe it's a different group. And yet, that word happens to be Masculine, plural. The construction really looks like what he meant to say was widows and widowers. And I think that's true. The reason he didn't use the Greek word for widower was because it was actually not a word they used much anymore. You know how that works. For instance, if I said, welcome lords and ladies, you'd think, that's just weird. <laughs> when I talk about ladies, you don't think it's weird. We just don't refer to guys as lords anymore. That word has fallen out of use in that context. Guess what? The word, the Greek word for widower, had the same ex exact experience. And so he uses this word, unmarried and widows. I think he's referring to those who were previously married and are now, are now single. And what he says to them is, I think you ought to stay the way you are just like me. Makes sense, right? Now, there's a little bit of a confusion, maybe. Uh, maybe if you know your scriptures, you know that in 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and, and said, Hey, Timothy, you should encourage the young widows to get married again. Is this a contradiction? And it's not for several reasons. First of all, throughout this entire little passage, Paul's going to make it clear. This is not a command, you guys. I'm not telling you you must stay single, nor am I telling you you must get married. Over and over, what he's going to say is, you can do what you think the Lord wants you to do. But if you ask me as your pastor, I'm going to tell you, if I were you, I'd stay single. So what we're getting here is practical advice, pastoral advice from the Apostle Paul himself. He says, if I were you, I would, I would, I, I would recommend that you stay single. But as we've seen already, when Paul gives advice, especially in these areas of life issues, marriage, sex, divorce, remarriage, divorce and remarriage will be next week. In all of these areas, every time he gives instruction, he seems to be giving exceptions too. And we all know why. Because nobody's life fits into a little formula or a box. And so he gives exceptions. Interesting, in this conversation, he's going to start with the exception. 
So he says, I would recommend that you stay single. Verse 9, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. You little hottie you. Okay, that's a little awkward, especially if, if, like, you know, if you're a 60-year-old single and you're thinking, I don't know who he thinks he's talking to, <laughs> right? And so, again, we have to get into the context a little. Remember, he's not writing to all people, to all generations. He's writing to a specific church in a specific culture. Once we understand that, then we make applications to ourselves. He's writing to Corinth. What is he talking about? You should stay single unless, of course, you can't control yourselves. That's kind of demeaning, right? Actually, um, this is one of the rare times when I disagree with the NIV. The word cannot there isn't actually in the Greek. That word doesn't, isn't there. But the interpreters put it in there, and I understand why. What it, what it could say is, and if they are not controlling themselves, that makes it worse, doesn't it? <laughs> They're already messing up. <laughs> Don't you think of like a couple of sweaty teens in a fogged up car, right? That's what we're picturing here. And I'm, I'm not, it, perhaps that's exactly what he has in mind. But I want to suggest that if he's addressing couples that are formally engaged in their culture, that, that relationship of being formally engaged, it was kind of like half married already. You weren't living together. You weren't having intimacies. But legally, socially, like, and, and we do something similar with, um, uh, you know, engaged couples today. You know, they're kind of seen as a, a team already, even though the whole deal isn't settled. So what he's saying is, when you've got engaged couples, right? You've got people who, um, they're, they're in a relationship now, and it's kind of heading a direction. And if, as you head that direction, those desires to fulfill that connection get stronger and stronger, and you're worried about stumbling in that area, he says, honestly, even though I'm saying most of you just stay single, but in that case, follow through and get married. There was a group of people in the church, this ascetic you know, group, and they were going around telling people, look, if you're really spiritual, if you really love Jesus, you'll break up this engagement and you will just stay single for Jesus. And, 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 and Paul's saying, hang on, don't give in to that pressure. So if... Struggling with this urge, and by the way, throughout this whole discussion, every time he talks about physical, sexual passion, we need to notice that he's talking about passion toward another individual. Okay? I, I, I know it's like a hundred million years ago, but I remember when Cindy and I were dating, and there was one kind of pressure. I mean, I thought about her every I mean, She'd get out of the car and be like, Wow, man, it's like, it, it, I was ridiculous. It's just like, it was amazing. Okay? And then I remember when we got engaged and we started talking about a wedding and talking about a honeymoon. And, and you know, guess what happens? The more, the further along, it, the, the more the pressure gets to the point, you know, on the wedding day, you're just like, oh, I'm going to go crazy. Like, the, that's a normal flow. You know what he isn't talking about? People who are just sitting by themselves someplace, but they're all aroused sexually. I have a hunch in this culture, although I'm, I guess it happened, but there was really no place in their culture for people who are just like, hi, single, don't really know anybody's name here, but I'm just aroused. <laughs> They'd be like, that's weird. Like, you get aroused toward an object, toward a person. A person can arouse you. You're aroused by yourself. Okay. 
sounds like you need medicine. Like, what's up with that? Now, we laugh because in our culture, the idea of an individual totally unconnected with anybody else still being sexually aroused and acting out sexually, that just sounds normal. It's funny how it almost doesn't even sound natural when you put it up against the biblical idea. What's being talked about is the kind of arousal that says, I love you and I am having trouble keeping my hands off of you. I want to be together. And Paul says when that exists and you're worried about it ruining the rest of the relationship, I would encourage you, don't quit on the plans. Go ahead and get married. So what Paul says is, I would recommend staying single unless it threatens the purity of your passion. If the two of you can stay buddies and serve the Lord like crazy and you want to stay separate, just best of friends, best buddies, great, then do that. And he's going to explain why later. But, it, but if, if, it, if the pressure to continue on a normal track relationally and physically continues to grow, just follow through with the plans. It's perfectly okay. It's not second best. It's not better than singleness, but it's not second best. Go ahead and follow through. Now, he's going to go on to the next section of uh, singles. He, the next section, starting in verse 10, he's talking about marriage and divorce, and there's a long passage in there. We're going to do that next week. But if we skip down to verse 25 in 1 Corinthians 7, he goes back to the issue of singles. And this time, he's talking about virgins. Eventually, there's going to be a museum, and there's going to be little statues of, like, this is what a virgin used to look like. Because in our culture, it's almost unheard of. At least that's the impression they would like to give you. But in this context, he's not talking, when he says virgins, he's not saying people who have never had intercourse. It's, it's broader than that. It's people who have never been married. People have never been a part of that institution. It's assumed they haven't had intercourse, but it's even more broad than that. Those people who are unmarried. Many of you will be in this camp. He's talking to you. And he says, now, about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What does that mean? It's actually really simple. Often Jesus is going to quote, I mean, often Paul is going to quote Jesus' teaching. In verses 10 to 24, he talks about marriage and divorce. He's going to quote something that Jesus said about marriage and divorce. What he's saying here is when it comes to single people, I don't remember the Lord saying anything specific, so I've got nothing to quote. But I'm going to tell you what I think. This is not less inspired or less spiritual than anything Jesus said. What he's saying is, I'm not quoting from Jesus. Instead, I'm going to give you my thoughts as somebody who's following Jesus, and I'm your pastor, and I'm your coach. I'm going to give you my input. Okay? Verse 26. He says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Hmm. <laughs> those were the married people chuckling. That's what really worries me. <laughs> Singles, are you hearing it? Okay. Like, like. So, first of all, here he is. He's saying, look, 
how many, I don't know how many times you're going to say it. You want to get married, that's just fine. But if you decide not to get married for the right reasons, that's fine too. I don't know how many times he can say it. But he says, I would recommend that you stay single because of the present crisis, he says. Wow. What was going on? Now, if we were sitting in a small group, and we, what do you think, what, what's he referring to? Half the people in your little group would say, well, they were being persecuted. Because that's what we hear. Christians were persecuted. And it's true, they were later. This is one of the very first letters written chronologically in the scriptures. And Corinth was a pretty hip place, not especially just Roman. The bottom line is, there's no historical record of any really significant persecution going on right now. Huh. All good for them. What's he talking about? Somebody else will say, well, there was a famine. People were really struggling with food and those kind of things. And, and you know what? That's actually true as well. Uh, the end of the book of Acts, Paul is taking up a collection to bring goods to the people in Jerusalem, the Christians who were just struggling. And so there was a famine. Uh, but again, the timing doesn't really match. Sounds like actually Corinth was pretty prosperous right about now. I don't think anybody was starving unless they were going to Weight Watchers. What is he talking about? And I think we don't really know what he's talking about unless we use his words to interpret it. So skip down to verse 29. I think here's, he's going to unpack what he means by this present crisis. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now, now, this is going to blow your mind, okay? This is going to so mess with your head. You're not going to, you're going to, when we're done reading this, you're going to say, okay, Mike, what in the world is going on? Here we go. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs. And those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. What? <laughs> At very first, it sounds like he's saying, hey, those of you that are married, you should start acting like you're not married. Which means... More Xbox. <laughs> I'm looking into a church Xbox league. So if you guys sign up, we're going to have a... We used to do that when I was teaching at the college. We'd actually get two units, two screens facing this way, two teams of four. It was like a full-on... It was amazing. We had so much fun. And it went all night long. What's, what's he saying? I, I thought he was just saying that, you know, I mean, over and over again, he talks about... Husbands should love their wives. And, and so now is he saying, now you get to get out from under the responsibility? And that is not what he's saying. And you knew that, but you can't explain what he's saying. He starts out by saying, the time is short. What time? Well, at the end of the passage, he says, for this world, for this world in its present form is passing away. The time is short. What he's referring to is that the Lord's coming back. Now we have a problem, because you're thinking, he was off a little. <laughs> couple thousand years, just a little off in his math. Paul, how embarrassing. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're reading your book, and he still hasn't come. So it wasn't near. That's, that's how we think of near. But what you have to understand about what the Bible teaches about Jesus' return we use the word eminent. And what that means is that it could happen at any moment. 
Have you ever warned somebody about their driving that they're going to have an accident? Now, when it happens, you say, no surprise. But if they come to you and say, why didn't you tell me that was going to happen? I would have stayed home that day. You say, I didn't know when. I just knew eventually. You knew that the way they're driving meant that a, an accident is probably imminent. Could happen at any moment. In fact, if you watched other people, I just drove to Annapolis and back yesterday. So I couldn't believe the number of people that were, they weren't texting, okay? I mean, they were like video chatting <laughs> while they're driving down 95. I can prove it because I took videos of them as I drove. <laughs> And as they, you drive by, you think, uh, their death is imminent. And sometimes knowing, seeing that, has it ever snapped you back? Like, I need to pay attention, because one of them is going to kill me. What just happened there to you is what the Lord's return is supposed to do to us. He could come back at any moment. Wow. I, I mean, I, I know an accident could happen any time, but watching that happen, i like, I need to pay attention. There you go. The Lord could return at any time, which means any moment, which means what am I doing right now? That's the very impact that the eminence of Christ's return is supposed to have on us. That's what he's referring to. He says, the time is short. It could be over in a blink of an eye. For this form, the form of this world is passing away. So, how do we apply that truth? Well, he says, those that have wives should live as they do not. Don't abandon the responsibilities of being a husband or wife. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that there's actually something more important than the kind of husband or wife you are. There's actually something more important than that. For instance, if you're a good husband and you're delayed at work, you call and you say, hey, honey, I'm going to be a little bit late for dinner. I'm stuck at work. That's what a good husband does. Shows respect for his spouse. Of course, he's calling her at work, and she says, doesn't matter, we're doing takeout anyway. But, <laughs> but on, on the way home, you suddenly see a terrible car accident, and somebody is stuck in their car, and you can tell this thing's going to burst into flames. You stop your car, and you're about to run over and see if you can't pull them out of the wreck before it explodes. And you think, you know, if I'm a good husband, I should let her know this is going to make me late. Hey, hon, yeah, I'm going to be a little late. I'm about to pull this guy out of this burning car. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, he's hurt pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know. No, I had my seatbelt on. I did. I, no, but, you know, okay, and listen, I went, what, is, that, is that what a good husband does? No! The good husband says, husband, what does that have in you? You get out and you help because there's a crisis. There are times when something is more important than even acting like you're a husband or a wife. That's not the message we get from church about marriage all the time. But the truth of the matter is, there is something more important. There are times coming, he says, when it's more important that you act like a follower of Christ than that you act like a husband or wife. That's all he's saying. Now, the rest of it is the same thing. Uh, those who mourn as if they do not. What? You don't, you'll go up to people and say, hey, I know this really stinks and all, but get over it. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that even as someone mourns and suffers, the message of Christ's return is 
I don't know how long this is going to last. Had friends of ours whose only adult son took his own life last week. Had a wife and children. And he took his own life. And I found myself asking myself, how would I live the rest of my life like a normal person if one of my children took their own life and left their family behind? How would it be okay? And I did not find many comforting answers. Oh, I know the Lord and the so like I, I understand. You know what was a comfort? I thought to myself, I would be waiting every day for the Lord's return. I kind of sort of want this to be over. And it could come at any time. You know, that was the idea behind the black spirituals. As they were suffering as slaves, suffering from abuse and overwork, denigrated as less than human, and they would sing songs back and forth, sort of in code, so these white people didn't know what they're singing, but the, the, the content was about the hope they have and what's coming next. This is tough now, but you know how they endured it? By knowing this may not last forever. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And they'd sing it, and they'd look at each other and wink and say, it's a source of strength. What Paul's saying is, those who mourn, they don't act like they're mourning forever. It's not going to last forever. Those who are happy as if they were not. I don't know what you're looking forward to. A big win, a job promotion, that new car, getting that house, getting married. Whoa, boy, I can't wait. Isn't it? We just like, oh, that's it. We're trying to plan vacation. We love getting out into nature for a few weeks. And, and, and we're trying to figure out when and where and how. And, and, but we just feel like, just the idea of vacation, like, oh, it's going to just be so much better. What he's saying is, that might be true, but don't go hanging all your hopes on that next big thing. Because it, you might not even get there. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Okay, now he's to stepping on our toes, isn't he? In a materialistic culture, the stuff that you have, you consider it yours. What Paul says is, if you live like you know Jesus is coming back, you're not going to treat your stuff like it's your stuff. I, you know, the home we live in, you know, <laughs> it's not mine. The bank owns it. The truth of the matter is, everything I have, I'm just renting from God. And as soon, the sooner I realize that, the sooner I, sooner I stop obsessing on this stuff. He says, and those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. Oh, my. We look to things to make us happy. Paul says, if you understood what's going to happen to this stuff when the Lord comes back, you would hardly give it a second glance. Now, there's a little reality here, okay? I'm 55 something, you know, I have 55 years, and you know, at 55 years, I can get kind of used to a few things. It's kind of like, come on, get. I, but the minute we step into eternity, my 55, 85, my 95 years are going to seem like a blink. 
You already know that, though. How long ago did you graduate from high school? <laughs> Remember how long that algebra class seemed like? Remember the pre-algebra, like, ah, oh, stick a pencil in my eye. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to explode, right? It just felt like now the whole, your whole six-year high school career <laughs> flies by, right? It's like, yeah, that's like, bink. And that's still within time. Can you imagine what things look like in eternity? I'm telling you guys, listen to the scriptures. You'll look like a genius in heaven. So Paul would say this. The time is short. This world is passing away. I guess it would help if, since I make these PowerPoints, I should use them, right? So Paul's saying this. I would recommend that you stay single. Why? Because of the present urgency. We don't know when the bell rings. We don't know when the timer goes off. We don't know when the period is over. We don't know when the game ends. And that affects the way we play. Just a few passages. I want you to hear it from the scriptures. First Timothy 4. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry. Wow, who's that sound like? Yeah, that group in Corinth. And order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Second Timothy, he says this. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you still think the return of Jesus is a long way off? having the form of godliness, but denying its very power. Romans 13. And do this. Understand that the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. Got that? I don't know when it's coming, but it's closer now than it was when you first came to faith. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The fact that we're facing an urgency right now affects the way we choose to live our even most intimate lives. I've said it before. Jesus has no problem making demands on everyone's sexual life. Now, if you're single and you wish you could have sex, you think he's cheating you. And he's, he, he, he says, hey, he's cutting you off from fun. But I want you to realize that he also tells married people that now they are in a single relationship. Saying no to one woman or one man means saying no to every other man or woman on the globe. He makes demands on all of us. And by the way, single, married, male or female, Nothing on this earth can completely satisfy 
and bring contentment? Nothing. If you have to try everything before you realize that, Solomon would say, you're wasting your time. I got everything, tried everything, I'm telling you. But if you want to go do that, you go right ahead. He goes on. Um, in verse 28, he says, there's another reason why I want you to think about staying single, and it's because they, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. That's when you all snickered. What's he talking about? I think he unpacks this in verse 32. You ready? I would like you to be free from concern, he says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. The wives say, I wish. And his, and, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And the men said, Amen. Amen. That's funny. It displays different. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Do you hear him? Not to restrict you, not to cut out the fun. I'm saying this so that you could live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says, I would recommend that you say stay single because of the spiritual priorities of life. Now, he's not saying that married guys can't be a spiritual single guys, that married women can't be a spiritual single women. He's not saying that. How many times has he said? They're, both are fine. What he's saying, though, is families, husbands and wives, this is a fact. Husbands and wives have responsibilities that single people do not. So he's asking, if your goal overall is to be completely undivided in your devotion to the Lord and you're not in a relationship knowing that it's already going to be tough, already living for Jesus in our culture is a challenge. There are obstacles already. What he's saying is, if you decide to stay single so that you have less of those concerns and you can focus more on the Lord, he says, that's what I do. That's how I roll. But it's really critical that you understand that the fulcrum of his argument isn't, hey, stay single because you can play more Xbox. <laughs> hey, stingle, stay single because then you can go where you want when you want. You don't have to check with anybody. Stay single. That's not the fulcrum of his argument is that it will allow you to be more undivided in your devotion to the Lord. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about running a race and he says, everybody who runs a race acts like they want to win. So run like you're going to win. Don't just go out there, la-da-da-da-da, daisy chaining it around. He says, train and work. The point is this. If you say that the Lord's will is important in your life, then live like it. All of us need to live with a sense of urgency and focus on what has eternal value. Lisa Harper 
kind of a famous she's an actress. She's a, a Christian. She's also single. She wrote, and, and here I am talking about singleness, and I really don't have a lot of credibility. But if you'd allow me to read a couple of things that she wrote on a recent blog about singles, uh, I think maybe it'll help you, even though we're a little bit short on time here. So let me try to cut this down. She says, uh, sometimes I go into churches, and I can't count how many times church people have awkwardly asked me, do you have any children? <laughs> or they'll say, where's your husband? My favorite answer is, uh, my future husband is lost, and he won't stop and ask for directions. <laughs> she says, that way I kind of divert attention from my lackluster dating life. But she says, I think a lot of times there are some myths in the church about singleness that add to the burdens that single people feel. Myth number one, since the Bible says that God is our husband, an earthly spouse isn't really necessary. Well, she says, don't cancel your eHarmony membership just yet. And she goes on to say that the word for husband there in the scriptures is really talking about somebody that kind of manages everything. So he's our, as a manager and he's overlooking, but marriage isn't a consolation prize. God gave it as a gift. It, it is worthwhile. It's not something like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Secondly, since according to the Apostle Paul, singleness is a desirable gift, spiritually mature single Christian women especially should feel fully and joyfully, or should fully and joyfully embrace it. She writes, I consider singleness a gift when I can sleep in while my mom friends drive carpool in their pajamas. When I have the liberty to choose taking a meandering hike over doing laundry. When I can stay preoccupied with a cool scripture passage instead of being pulled away by the responsibility of fixing dinner for my family. Simply put, freedom from earthly needs of a spouse and children typically affords us a more uninterrupted time to focus on our Redeemer. Myth number three. God promises us the desires of our heart. He'll give you a husband or a wife once you really, really desire one. And she goes on to talk about how, it, how perverted it is to cut and paste a passage. God will provide your every, every wish. That doesn't make God into some kind of a fairy godfather who just waves a wand and makes things happen. Actually, what that passage is talking about is finding our fulfillment in him and that he loves us and he knows what's best for us and he'll send it. The last one is kind of fun. She says, since the Bible says that we're to be content in all circumstances, God won't give singles a mate until they're totally satisfied with singleness. Now, Christ followers, she writes, obviously should seek to be at peace with whatever circumstances they're in, but total contentment is probably unattainable this side of heaven. And she writes this, I thoroughly enjoy my life most days, and I love Jesus with all the devotion that my crooked little heart can muster. But she says, I'm still not completely satisfied while I'm eating a lean cuisine and watching a DVD by myself on Valentine's Day. Sometimes, she says, I want to share this stuff with a man, preferably a godly guy, with a booming voice and a generous heart and an aversion to hair gel. <laughs> I'm not necessarily restless in my relationship with the Lord. I'm simply human. She goes on to say what you will, and I already know. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married. There's something about humans that the grass on the other side always seems greener. There are so many singles who think that a woman or a godly woman or a godly man is, is going to be the answer to most of their problems. At the same time, there's a bunch of married people who are thinking 
their spouse is actually the cause of a lot of their problems. I just want to say this, and we've got to go. I have a bunch of applications that we can't get to. If you are single, and that's half of you, however you got there, if you're single as a young person, I just want to encourage you, wait to have sex. If you go ahead and have it, you'll be sorry. You might be a little sorry. You might be very sorry, but I promise you'll be sorry. It's not the end of the world. You'll live through it, but wait if you can. If you're single but you do want to be married, that's okay. You're not defective. But while God has you single, could I encourage you to make good use of the time? When I marry people, I'm always stunned at how much attention they pay attention to. They pay attention to some things and ignore others. They spend $20,000 on the place and the flowers and the dresses and the tuxedos, and they almost don't even think about the fact that the main part of the wedding is when you make a promise. And as these people make promises, you realize you're making promises that you have absolutely no ability to keep. Could I suggest that while you're single, that you learn to be the kind of person that can actually keep the promises they make? Andy Standy says it this way. He says, while you're single, practice becoming the kind of person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. Be that person. And that includes learning to serve. That includes dealing with your past. Deal with that before you get married. It includes getting out of debt and managing your life and learning to put other people first. Being single doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're locked into a lifetime of loneliness. There are other relationships besides the intimacy of marriage. Have families over. They'll have you over. Build relationships. But in the end... Paul says, if you're single, for whatever reason, see it as a gift. See it as an opportunity to focus more attention. I guess technically, if you're single, you ought to be able to pour more attention into the Lord's work than I can. It isn't a license to be self-absorbed. If you're single, it doesn't mean that simply, well, I can eat whatever I want, go wherever I want, do whatever I want. And in fact, that's what happens. And become self-absorbed instead of self-giving. If you're single, the Lord has given this time to you. It might, it's, by the way, it's not, it's not always permanent. John Stott was a great uh, theologian and scholar, and he dated a couple girls in college, never got married until he was 70. Then when he was 70, he married a woman like half his age. And they had a little kid. And, and then he died. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you. Like, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, this singleness isn't always permanent. So get ready. And in the meantime, we as a church, we don't just put up with you. It's not like, oh, well, we'll try to find some little spot for you. You are a critical part of who we are. You are every bit as viable and as important as any married couple. We need you. The Lord needs you. He has gifted you. Take everything that he has given you in terms of freedom, of time, finances, attention, focus, and pour it into his kingdom. You will never come back to me and say, 
Mike, that was bad advice. Live a life that is undivided in its devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lives that you give us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for showing us what it means to be loved. For loving us even as we were your enemies. Father God, I thank you for the singles that are here. Thank you for Paul's correction to us. Helping us to be reminded that their contributions are just as important as anybody else's. And if there are the singles that are here, if they have at times felt marginalized or felt left out, I pray, God, that you would help us as a body to value them and that these singles would use every opportunity they have in time and treasure and talent to make a difference for your kingdom. Because we are, after all, actually one family. In heaven, we will all be your bride. We will be family. So teach us how to live like family, where no one is ever alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.